0: I'm Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here at GCFL, it's good to see you here this morning, really great to be back with you after uh, just a week away, and a special welcome if you are worshiping with us, uh, perhaps for the first time today, we're really glad that you are here, honored that you are here, and trust that the Lord will continue to minister His grace uh, to your heart this day. I do have uh, just a couple of kind of like church life or life of the church updates uh, that I do want to give to you. I think I have three of them here, but typically what happens, I have three and that morphs into seven very quickly. So, But I'm going to try and stick to three here. It's like my sermons. Uh, first one, uh, I'm uh, I'm here and then I'm not going to be here. I'm really thankful for a uh, month-long sabbatical coming up here. Uh, it kind of begins this next week. And so just so that you're aware, if you don't see the Brinkman family here, that's, that's why. Uh, this is an opportunity. It's actually... One of the uh, great practical blessings, there are many, many practical blessings of being a pastor here. This is one of them. And so really, this is me saying thank you on behalf of the elders and by extension uh, to you for affording full-time vocational pastors this chance to to rest a little bit, pray, recharge, get away. It's a chance to visit other churches and so forth. So uh, thank you in advance. Uh, For your kindness to me and my family, in that, that uh, I recognize uh, that uh, that's exactly what it is, and it's a a kindness from God Himself. So, uh, that's that's what the next month or so looks like uh, for the Brinkmans. Uh, Second, super grateful. It's kind of tied in with that for uh, our new associate pastor, Pastor Dave, and he is uh, he's doing a great job. He is here today. There he is in the back. Yeah, I knew you were here, Dave. and so I just wanna, again, let you folks know, Dave, is this month is kind of transition month for him as he leaves his previous job, transitions here, and then come August, August the 1st, I think, maybe it's the 2nd, uh, he'll be on board uh, full-time. But between you and me, Dave's doing two jobs right now uh, and working really hard, and he's already been a great blessing uh, to us here. And uh, so Dave, super grateful, thankful to God for you, and uh, look forward to what the Lord has for us next. Third is uh, just a brief update on our independence process, the process of us here becoming an independent separate church. As you all know, uh, GCF started with one church, planted a North Campus, planted this Valley Campus two just over two and a half years ago. And uh, as the Lord has moved, we are in the process now Uh, from going uh, from one church with three campuses uh, to three separate, uh, really independent churches. And so that is a process. So a couple things related to that. The uh, paperwork has been filed through our lawyers, so we're really just waiting on that, really waiting for the state. Best guess is that could come back, that confirmation could come back, perhaps within the month. That really sets off a kind of a series of dominoes, uh, and so once that is established, in other words we're legal with the state, then we'll get an EIN number, and some of you are thinking why are you telling me all this, but just go with me. An EIN number makes us legal, employee identification number, that then means we can open up a bank account, that then means all of the assets can be uh, divided, um, which as elders we've uh, already come up with that plan, so we're just waiting on some of these things to happen. So. There are a lot of details, as you can imagine, associated with that whole process. God has been so good and kind to all three of the churches, to the larger elder team, and certainly to us here as well. So uh, we're not anticipating any major sort of roadblocks there. Certainly keep you up to date, as we know more. Some of you have asked, and in fact, I got a few emails too, saying, hey, what about our name? Like, what, do we get to keep our name? It's a great question, and, uh, and yeah, the... We do. So in other words, we are, have been, we are GCF Valley. And as it relates to Central, they're going with, can you guess? GCF Central. And up north, I'm not quite sure what their name is. <laughs> that, that's not the name of the church. Can you imagine the name of the church? I'm not quite sure what our name is. No. Uh, they're, they're working through that. Some, something, I think Grace will be in there somewhere, but they're just working through that. So uh, GCF Valley, and so we're grateful for that. That's uh, kind of one less thing that, that we are having to think about. So with that, uh, as we have more details, timelines, things like that, of course, uh, check the email newsletter through the video. We're gonna try and, especially over the summer, we'll do a good job of keeping you up to date on that uh, and as we move forward. If you do have just questions, uh, about that at all, please uh, come talk to uh, Drew or Dave. Notice I didn't say me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can talk to me too, but especially if you want an answer immediately, you should probably talk to Drew and Dave. Uh, they'll, give you a, uh, they'll be able to help. With that, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 22. So we continue here in our series in the Psalms, Psalm 22. Just a quick reminder as you're turning there too that we do have those Psalms journals available uh, in the bookstore. Some of you I know are using those, and you're able to take notes in that and follow along. It's actually quite a good investment if you think about it. If as as the Lord would have it, we're going to be in the Psalms in the summers for the next like 12 years, so uh, you're going to get your money's worth out of that. Psalm 22 is is a longer psalm, and so I I, I want to give you the freedom as you know, if you've been with us here at GCF, we stand uh, to read God's word. But because this is a little bit longer psalm, if you need to sit down at some point, that is absolutely okay. It actually brings up the question of why do we even do that? Why, is it necessary to stand when God's word is read? And of course, it's, it's not. Uh, but, but really, the reason we do that, there is biblical precedence for that. Certainly from the book of Nehemiah, where the people of God rose as Ezra uh, read God's word. There's several other scripture passages, the New Testament as well. But, but really the reason we do it, there's, there's, a, there's a practical reason, and that is that it is a reminder as we gather here of what we are doing and of the, there's, there's a gravity, brothers and sisters, to hearing God's word. That this is not like any other book that you and I will read. That this is the word of God to his people, and, and so it is a sign of respect and reverence, but very practically, it also means that none of us are here to hear me. You did not come here this morning to hear words of a guy, and you didn't come here this morning to hear, hopefully, your favorite song, and you didn't even come here this morning to, to hang out and to say hi to some really friendly people. Those are all really good things but it's a a reminder as we stand under the word of God that we are here because we need to hear from God. We need to hear his voice speaking to us, and that is absolutely what is most important. Amen? Amen? So with that, if you're able to, please stand as I read Psalm 22. Verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet, you are here who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me a company of evil doers encircles me they have pierced my hands and feet i can count all my bones they stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots but you o oh lord do not be far off o oh, you my help come quickly May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we need your help this morning. In fact, we need your divine aid this morning. We can so easily get distracted. Our minds can so easily wander. Perhaps some are here this morning wonder why, in fact, they are even here. Lord, we don't want to waste time this morning. So would you be pleased to help us? Help us to listen closely to your word, to pay attention to your voice and to your Holy Spirit that illuminates your word to us this morning, I pray. Speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, that Christ might be exalted even more. And that as Christ is exalted, that we would know of your great love for your people, your great love for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Live long enough and you will suffer. It's the common human experience. It's perhaps just a handful of human experiences that is really common to every person. Every person that's ever been born, that ever will be born, that's ever lived. Everybody suffers. Now that is not to say that all suffering is the same. It is not. Having to get rid of your Netflix account Or only having an iPhone 6. (laughs) I cannot underscore this enough. That is not suffering. It is not the same as losing your job to company downsizing. Or perhaps losing your mind to Alzheimer's. I'm actually amazed at both the variety and uh, the volume of Christian suffering. If you think about it, there's, there's kind of the garden variety, we might say, of, of sufferings that we all kind of experience kind of day in and week in and week out. We're maybe a little bit embarrassed over something we said or something we did. Maybe we just feel really tired. We're, we're overwhelmed. We all, many live with that sense of overwhelmment that comes through parenting or relationships or maybe something at work. But then there's, there's a more serious expression of suffering that you can't predict, it's a car accident, it's trauma of some kind, maybe it's the, the loss of, of a friend, a companion. And then I think there's actually a third category of suffering that is actually destabilizing and potentially life-altering. Maybe not every person undergoes this third kind of suffering, but I know that many do, and I know that some in this room that that you actually perhaps are in this season right now. It's the deep betrayal of a once-trusted friend, an unhappy marriage where there doesn't seem to be any hope at all, though you have perhaps tried. It's addiction of some kind that just has a stranglehold on your life and on your heart. Crippling anxiety, unexplained depression. Maybe it's prolonged singleness when your hearts cry, and the Lord knows that because you've told him, but your heart's cry and desire is simply to be married, and he has not yet answered in the way that you would like. Hang around a church like ours long enough, and these are the sorts of stories that you hear. And honestly, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Live long enough and you will suffer and the people around you will as well. Some of us may have the idea that becoming a Christian, believing in the sovereignty of God, trusting in his promises that are good and right and true, well, maybe that can get uh, us a ticket out of this kind of suffering, at least the kind of debilitating and destabling kind of suffering that is in that third category. If I just have enough faith, maybe I can just ward off the kinds of stuff that I don't really want to deal with and I really don't want to experience. But then you read the Bible and you know that that's not the case. In fact, that's not the case at all. In fact, sometimes it is our faith that actually increases our suffering. Hebrews 11 verse 36 and 37 By faith, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went out in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And you read that and you think, what, were they just evil people? Maybe they just had it coming to them. That's just their lot in life. Why? And the whole chapter again and again is saying, by faith. In other words, because of their faith, because they trusted in the triune God, for them, that's what it looked like to follow him faithfully. So yes, faith sometimes brings deliverance for our sufferings. We'll see that here in just a moment in Psalm 22. But at other times, it it doesn't. Now the good news this morning, brothers and sisters, is that our God understands human earthly suffering like nobody else. And the Bible speaks to that and gives us a voice for that. So this is why we need a psalm like Psalm 22. Some of you are here this morning and you are right in the middle of it. You are right in the thick of some bit of trouble or suffering. Others of you may not need this psalm today. You're caring for people who will. But the truth is, you will need this psalm at some point because you will suffer at some point. Psalm 22 is a psalm for suffering people. It not only gives voice to our many sufferings and troubles, but even more than that, it actually orients or reorients our heart to God in the middle of our suffering. Psalm 22, very practically shows us as God's people how it is that we can actually suffer well and suffer wisely in a way that would still honor God and would actually open us up to receive His grace. Grace that you and I absolutely need in our sufferings. So since you will suffer at some point in some way, you need to be prepared. In the same way that if, you, if we all go home today and tonight, we hear on the news that there is a really big storm coming through, a huge thunder and lightning storm coming through. What would you do? Well, I think most of us would start to prepare a little bit. You'd look for the candles. Maybe you get the batteries out. You, you find the can of tuna from Y2K just in case. <laughs> you prepare yourself. And in the same way, because we will suffer In some way, Psalm 22 prepares us so that we might be able to suffer well and wisely. So there's four truths here in the preparation. First, run. Run to God in your suffering and keep running and returning to him. This is verses 1 and 2. My God, David says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Perhaps the most important words of this entire psalm are these first four words right here. My God, my God. Now, you might think that's not all that exceptional to call out to God when you're in trouble. I mean, doesn't everybody kind of do that when they're in a situation that is overwhelming to them and they don't really know what to do? And we've all heard the expression, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Seems like it's the human thing to do. You get in trouble, you're not sure what to do, you might as well call out to God. Well, that may be true, but it's also true that there are crisis Christians. Crisis Christians are really only believers in God who cry out to God when they know that they are in trouble. Crisis Christians don't really want God. They just want a way out of the trouble. They just need his help. Crisis Christians are really quick to to run to God when they're in trouble, but they're just as quick to forget about him and turn away from him when the trouble has ceased. There's There's a song that I've Been listening to for the last several weeks. It's called Need a Favor. It's actually by by a a guy named Jelly Roll. And uh, I'm just gonna go on a limb here and say that's not his given name. Uh, But I don't know, maybe his mom took one look at him and said, You shall be named Jelly Roll. Uh, His name's probably Dave or something like that. So, parents, just before you send me those emails, I'm not endorsing his lifestyle. I'm not endorsing even all of his lyrics or his music. But clearly, as I've listened to Jelly Roll, that guy spent a lot of time in church because he's on to something. And here's the lyrics from one stanza of his song, Need a Favor. I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the hell am I, who the hell am I to expect a savior? If I only talk to God when I need a favor. But God, I need a favor. That's, that's the honest, very honest prayer of the crisis Christian right there. God, I'm in trouble. I need a favor. Really hoping you come through. Typically what happens after that is then here's all the things that I'm going to do and here's all the things I'm going to change in my life, Lord, if you can just get me out of this tight spot. That is not what David is doing here. He is not talking to God because he needs a favor. I'm in a tough spot, Lord, as you know. Kind of just get me out of this and we can move on. In those first four words, my God, my God, we hear from David and really an astonishing, robust profession of faith. You don't say, my God, my God, if you're just looking for a way out of trouble. You say, my God, my God. If you are actually in a relationship with God and that you recognize that you need him and that you have no hope unless God actually does something and moves on your behalf. So this is is a radical and exceptional expression of faith from David to say, to call out to God, to run to God and to say, my God, my God, when he feels forsaken by God. Yet David affirms, no, you, you are my God. You're, you're not some distant deity. You're not some unknown God. You're not unknowable. I'm not just throwing up a prayer to the big man upstairs hoping that it might stick. No, David is saying, even when you're silent, you are my God. You are my God even when I feel abandoned by you. You are my God even when... Life is falling apart all around me. Even as I suffer, David is saying, even when I don't sense your nearness and your closeness to me, even if I I don't even see you at all, you are my God. My God. That, brothers and sisters, that is bold faith. That is courageous faith. That is supernatural faith. But that is the kind of faith that you and I need, especially when we are in trouble and when we are suffering. So in a very practical way, Psalm 22, as many of the Psalms do, but but it's a helpful reminder that in our sufferings, it is not where you start that is most important, it is where you end up it is where your heart and soul land. That is what is crucial in sufferings and in trouble and trials. You know, at the beginning of this psalm, David doesn't know the outcome. He's crying out. He's running to God. My God, my God. But God doesn't answer him say, glad, glad you're calling out to me. Here's your five-step plan. Here's how long it's going to take. Hang in there. It'll all be okay. David doesn't know that at all. But you'll notice that David keeps running to God, keeps crying out to God. He keeps returning to him. David never stops talking to God in this whole psalm. And so often, brothers and sisters, the real problem in our sufferings or when we suffer is that we stop talking to God altogether and we refuse to run to Him for rescue. God doesn't give us that five step plan, does He? We don't know sometimes how long the suffering will last. We, we don't know how deep and painful it may go. Yet what is most important, what is most important is that you and I keep running to him, that we keep crying out to him, that we keep engaging with him, that we never stop running for him because that in the end, brothers and sisters, gives us hope. And that's what David is doing here. So in your sufferings, church, whatever that might look like, run. Run to God. Here's second truth to prepare us, which, by the way, I know you're, many of you are, like to keep notes. These do all start with R, which I know makes some of you very, very happy. <laughs> Resist. Resist sugarcoating your sufferings. I mean, if you want to learn, and we do, we need to learn to suffer well and wisely. Simply because you're a Christian doesn't mean that automatically you're going to be able to deal with these things very well. None of us deal with suffering really very well. So if you want to learn, resist the temptation to be anything less than completely honest and candid before God. In other words, your prayers should reflect that. Your prayers need to reflect that your soul is suffering. So your prayers ought to be real, maybe even blunt, raw perhaps. That's what David is doing here in Psalm 22. In fact, Psalm 22 is one of uh, the, the lament psalms that we read about here in Scripture. There are 60 plus psalms that we would put in this category, psalms of lament. Frankly, I think there's probably another 30 more that could be added to that category. And so if you just do the quick math, out of 150 psalms, you're you're bumping up about 100 of psalms that that could be classified in this category of psalms of lament. Now, what is lament? What is a biblical lament? Some of you may be thinking, well, that word sounds familiar. Like, there's a whole book, right? Lamentations. Um, I'm I'm tracking, Brinkman. Um, You guys are super smart. Obviously, it has a lot to do with that in his book, Deep Clouds, Deep Mercy, which I highly, highly recommend. In fact, I, it's one of, the, one of the better books I've read, certainly the last few years. You don't need to be suffering to get something out of that book. Uh, if you're walking with someone, it'll be a huge help. Deep Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's by a pastor named Mark Vrogop, I believe is how you pronounce it. He defines lament like this. A lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. A prayer of pain that leads to trust. It's wailing before your God who hears and who is listening and who responds. I wonder if Any of you have ever been in that kind of pain or trouble or suffering where you just wailed before the Lord? This kind of prayer of pain with the intent of drawing near to God, that is, brothers and sisters, a wonderful gift of God's grace to us. The fact that we can approach God... In lament and with, this kind of lament is a sure sign of his kindness to us, of his grace to us, of his compassion for us, of his great love for us. And frankly, the fact that there are so many of these sorts of psalms, these biblical laments, should tell us that God understands who we are and he understands that our earthly sufferings are real and he doesn't just tell us to get over it. He doesn't just tell us to move beyond it. What kind of cruel God would he be if he did? No, he gives us a way to voice our sufferings in a lament. That's what David is doing here. So I want you to notice the, really the content of David's lament here. He doesn't mince words with God at all. He's not sugarcoating anything here. Filters, David does not have any at least in this psalm. He tells God exactly how bad his situation is. Verses six and seven. I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. Church, this is not David kind of shrinking back a little bit. He's a little embarrassed. He just opened up his big mouth again. He put his foot in it, and now he's kind of red in the face. That's not what's going on here. Everything David sees is bad. His enemies are encircling him. They're demeaning him. They're ridiculing him. They are, in fact, seeking to devour him. Verses 12 and 13. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Bashan was a land of lush vegetation. So what we can know is that these bulls, the bulls of Bashan, I just like saying that. They are well fed. They are strong. And they are ready to kill. And David's basically saying, it looks like I'm their lunch. So David is is candid. He's honest before the Lord here. In fact, he's He paints the picture that I am surrounded by these enemies. They are closing in on me. That's all he can see, which is the exact opposite of what he feels about the Lord. He can't see God at all. Kind of wonders if he's even there. God seems so far away, so distant, which is why he prays prays in verse 11. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there's none to help. I wonder if you've ever felt like that in a, in a season of suffering. Lord, whew, trouble. I'm in trouble. And I'm not even sure if you're here. It sure doesn't appear to be the case. And there doesn't appear to be anyone here that I can call on to help. You ever prayed a prayer like that? And by the way, that's not just one prayer at one time. Some of you I know have. Some of you may be here this morning, and that is your prayer. And that has been your prayer. I wonder if you can perhaps identify with David here on the, the physical toll that suffering takes on our physical bodies. This is verses 15 through 17. I'm not going to take the time to read that. You, you can read it there. But essentially, David is saying, Lord, I'm exhausted. I can hardly speak or form words. I don't have any appetite. I've lost my energy. I'm not eating. This is probably it for me. That's, that's honest, isn't it? I mean, David lays bare his soul before God. Brothers and sisters, it is good. It is right for us, especially in times of trouble and especially when we are suffering to be this honest and candid before God. But I want you to notice this, and this is really important. David's lament here in Psalm 22 is not directed to his enemies. It's not directed to other people. It's not even directed to the pain itself. So this is not David going on a rant on Facebook. This is not David with a, kind of doing a TikTok video and telling the world how bad his situation is, how everybody's against him, how he, he's a victim, and nobody listens to him. David's lament is directed to God. It's in his presence. Because David has enough faith to know That God is ultimately the one that he most needs in his suffering. He's the one that will hear him. And he's the one that will ultimately deliver him. Many of us, and I am in that category of us, think we have a hard time lamenting like, like David does here. Hard time being this candid, real, honest before God, I think there are probably several reasons for that. Perhaps we just don't slow down long enough to actually be this honest. I mean, our tendency is most of us, there's a problem, there's some bit of suffering. We we just want to solve it. We want to figure out a way and move forward. And yeah, if God can help us, that's great, but we're going to handle our own business. It's the American way. It's the Canadian way too. Maybe we just don't actually believe that God can actually help us. And we don't really trust Him at that deep level. Or maybe you're just not quite sure what to do, and suffering like this can often bring a kind of paralysis. I don't know what to do, Lord. Psalm 22 is, I think, so helpful for us, brothers and sisters, because. From Psalm 22, it exhorts us that in your sufferings there is a time and a place for this kind of honest, real, biblical lamenting before God. And so I want to encourage you, and I'm speaking this for my own soul, to engage with your God on this level this week. I wonder when was the last time that you have poured out your heart to God like the way that David does here. Maybe it sounds a lot like that, but it could just sound like, Lord, I am so weary and so exhausted. I don't think I can endure another round of chemo. Lord, my God, my bones are wasting away. I haven't slept well in years. I don't have an appetite or I have too much of an appetite. Lord, where are you? Lord, my marriage is in deep, deep trouble. We've tried. It seems beyond hope. We're losing hope. My God, my God, my rebellious child is still wayward. God, I hate the despair that I feel right now. You are there, right? Brothers and sisters, God, your God, hears your laments. He hears them. And he will respond. Here's another quick important distinction. This kind of lamenting before God. This kind of honesty, candidness before God. This is not a blank check for you and me in our suffering to say anything to God. So hear what I'm saying. Yes, it is always good and right for Christians to tell God how we are feeling. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the things that we are feeling are always good. We do not cease to be sinners when we suffer. And sometimes we express sinful emotions, and those sinful emotions are directed to God Himself. So it is not a sin to express to God the anger that you are feeling when you suffer. But it is a sin to be angry with God for something that he has done, for something that he has allowed, for something that perhaps he has permitted. David understands that. Psalm 22, verse 3. In the midst of his suffering, he says, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other other words, David understands that God is the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one, everything he does. And ever will do is always right, even if it's painful for us. So when perhaps you are sinfully angry at God, yes, go to him, cry out to him. Confess your sinful anger towards him. Because when we are sinfully angry at God, we, we are calling into question his character, we're calling into question his goodness, his perfection, and yes, that is a sin that we do need to repent of and confess. And God knows that. Do you know that because of his great kindness and compassion for us, his people, he delights to hear our prayers of confession. And he delights to bring much-needed forgiveness. So how can we learn to suffer well and wisely? First, run to God in your sufferings. Second, resist sugarcoating your sufferings. Here's the third thing. Remember God's faithfulness in your sufferings. Remember the faithfulness and the goodness of God, particularly in the middle, because oftentimes, as is so often the case, when we suffer, there is, It just seems like a deep, deep fog. Now, as we look closely here at Psalm 22, I think what is very interesting is we find uh, for David that in his lament, he he moves, kind of almost he vacillates from almost two poles, from despair to hope, from complaint to trust. I think it's just a, a good helpful reminder on the one hand that our laments are oftentimes like this. It's a bit messy, kind of disorganized. A biblical lament is not an essay that you write and you spell check, and then you kind of come to the podium here and then you just present it to God. No, it's it's oftentimes incomplete and it's messy and disorganized. It's the outpouring of your heart, and especially in suffering, we don't tend to think very logically, and sometimes our thoughts don't make a whole lot of sense. But the overall movement and direction, as we see here with David, is, is towards God here. It's to, it's to recall to mind the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And so that's what we see David doing here. He moves from, in between, hopelessness to courage, fear and assurance. Verse 1 and 2, David's complaint. Then his affirmation of trust, verses 3 through 5. Then, then his despair. Verses six through eight. Then is hope. Verses nine through eleven. And really, if you look at verses twelve through eighteen, that is essentially one long complaint from David. But then you get to verse nineteen, and especially verse twenty-one and beyond, twenty-two and beyond, which is where then there is a noticeable difference. There's almost a, a tangible difference in David. There is a confidence. There is a goodness that God has delivered him. He will deliver him. There's a trust in his goodness. And so what is David doing here in this psalm? Essentially, he is is preaching to himself. He is telling his soul again and again and again to remember the faithfulness of God. And here's what's, I think, really important for us. He actually does this in two ways. And this is actually key for all of us who suffer. This is what we need to follow. Follow. David first sees the faithfulness of God, and he sees it, what I'll call it, from the wide-angle lens. And then, second, he sees it as he zooms in, very narrow, on his own life. So first, the the wide-angle lens of God's faithfulness. David sees the faithfulness, the goodness of God to his covenant people, the Israelites, verses 4 and 5. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Isn't it interesting here? Again, as David is suffering, he knows this as a fact. This is not just some wishful thinking on David's part. This is, this is not David kind of saying, well, I, I think that might be true. I heard, I heard, I heard from a friend of a friend of a friend. And like that, you know how you you kind of play that game and you say something to one friend and then there's you sit in a circle. We did this in youth group all the time. And you know, the 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 dog is brown, and then 30 people later, like the fish is green. You're like, what in the world? That's not what David's doing here. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, this is a verifiable fact. God actually acted and came to the rescue of his people. God is faithful. And so he's likely thinking here of Exodus chapter 2, how God heard the Israelites groaning. And he was moved to respond. He met them. He rescued his people. He delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians and ultimately led them to the promised land. We don't have to turn there now. But I love how Exodus chapter 2 ends. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew. Brothers and sisters, God knows exactly what you are facing today. He knows exactly what you are in the middle of. He knows exactly what you'll be in the middle of a week from now, or a year from now, or 40 years from now. That's the truth that David is telling his soul and bringing to his mind and to his heart the faithfulness of God to his covenant people. Hugely important and hugely encouraging. I think that's one of the practical reasons why our Bibles are so thick. Because God could have just said, and particularly after Genesis 3, which is like on page 2 of your Bible, God could have just said, look, This kind of thing, this went off the rails, but just so you know, I'm faithful, I will be faithful, you can always trust me, the end. But he knows us, doesn't he? He knows how we're made, he knows that we actually need to see his faithfulness in action, we need to see his rescue and his deliverance in real time, which is why that we have whole books of the Bible like Job. And we have whole chapters of the Bible like Hebrews chapter 11. And we have story after story after story of God's great power and might to rescue his people when they had no hope at all. I would even venture to say, and perhaps this is you this morning, you're here, you're not quite sure what you think about Jesus. You're not even quite sure what you think about God. Here's my challenge to you. Start reading in Genesis. Go all the way to the end Revelation. You close Revelation 22, and I don't know how you could not help but say, that God will not be thwarted. That God will deliver. What he says, he's gonna do always. That's why we need to read our Bibles and meditate on God's word and share it with others, especially when we are really suffering and don't know what to do. God's word will be healing balm for your soul. David sees the wide angle lens. This is also why I think it's important to read good Christian biographies. I hope to at least read a couple On my little sabbatical here coming up, you don't even have to be suffering to get something good out of it, but particularly if you are or in a season of suffering, there is, by God's grace, there is something, uh, there's a different perspective that we can get on our own suffering. There is such good wisdom from those who have gone before, who have mined the depths of Scripture, and your soul will thank you. If you're not quite sure where to start with these biographies, you might start with guy by the name of John Patton, P-A-T-O-N. If you've not heard of him, I would encourage you to be familiar with him. Any guy who climbed up on a tree and stayed there because savages were waiting to kill him below and he just stayed there for a while, that's a guy that you want to know about, don't you think? So start with John Patton. Maybe it's John Newton. Maybe it's Jonathan Edwards. Seems like you could pick any John and probably be pretty safe. (laughs) But I encourage you to do that. So David sees the wide-angle lens of God's faithfulness as a balm to his soul, and then he presses in. He zooms in on his own life. He sees how faithful God has been to him. Verses 9 through 11, he zooms in on his own birth as he affirms his trust and confidence in God's faithfulness. So brothers and sisters, it is good and right in your times of suffering, yes, to look back on your own life, maybe even from your birth. To see how good God has been faithful to you. To see how he has led you. To see how he has always rescued you. To see how he has provided for you and protected you. For however long you've been walking with him. Do you know that if you are a Christian here today, God knew you and chose you to belong to him and to believe in him. Not just from your birth. I mean that would be kind of amazing in itself. From eternity past, long before your actual physical birth. So he can be trusted. If he knew you and loved you and chose you from eternity past, can you not trust him right now that he will be faithful to show up and to rescue in your present sufferings? So I want to encourage you. Again, speaking this to my own heart, that it is good and right for our souls. It's a good spiritual exercise in suffering to look back and to bring to mind God's faithfulness to you. Because I want to practice what I preach. In our elders meeting, Drew and Dave this last week, I shared a few, uh, few scriptures from Psalm 22 and I asked them. And we shared just a little bit. It wasn't all that long, but I asked them to Remember God's faithfulness to you. What did that look like? And and I my own heart was encouraged just to hear from them. And we're going back, and for me it was going back 20, 30 years, just how the Lord moved and worked. And I can remember situations 30 years ago, some bit of suffering at that point that at least then it was like, man, I this is like is it ever I mean is it ever gonna end kind of thing. There's a context there. But I just remember, brothers and sisters, thinking, I don't, know, I don't really know what to do. And I'm not really enjoying this season of life. I can't really strategize a way forward. But, but, you know, the only thing, and this is 35 years, the only thing I remember saying then and knowing is that God was in it. That God was in it. And that, that was enough to sustain me to satisfy my soul, that God, you are in this, however dark and painful it is, and he was. And he is in whatever circumstance you are facing today and ever will face as a believer in Jesus Christ. So we actually have hope. Remember God's faithfulness in your suffering. Fourth and finally, rejoice that your sufferings are never pointless or purposeless. Your sufferings are never pointless or without purpose. Now this doesn't mean that you and I will know exactly why everything happens, the time that they happen, how long. We're not going to see with clarity as God sees this side of eternity. But you can know and be assured of who is to get the glory in your suffering. That's what David is doing here. His sufferings lead him to deeper worship. They actually lead him to, to greater reverence of God, which is the very opposite of the crisis Christian who only comes to God when he or she is in trouble, and as soon as that crisis is over, it's like he didn't even exist. God does deliver David here in Psalm 22. The rest of the Psalm, verses really 19 through 31, tell us that. But for David, his deliverance, God's deliverance of him, is simply a means to an end, the greater end of bringing glory to God. So yes, David wants deliverance, and he prays to that end. Verses 19 through 21. And when God does deliver him, David's response is what? Lord, I want to magnify you. I want to praise you. Verses 22 and 23. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. That's where David's going. gone. That's where his sufferings, have brought him to in God's great deliverance. He wants future generations, everybody to know of the greatness and the glory of God, the God who delivered him. So in your sufferings, yes, plead with God as David does for deliverance. It's not a sin to do that. But as you pray for deliverance, yearn as David does that for God's glory to be revealed in your heart and in your life as he works in you and through you. So what this really means brothers and sisters is that if your faith is firmly in God there really is no such thing as purposeless or pointless sufferings and the apostle Paul understood this and by the way the apostle Paul was also a man who suffered greatly 2nd Corinthians 4 verses 17 through 18 Paul says for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. Paul's not minimizing earthly human suffering, but he's just saying that there's a purpose and a plan by God's grace that you and I might not actually be fully aware of in the moment. It's to prepare us for glory. And nobody understood this like Jesus. This is, I think, no doubt the most important and encouraging thing about Psalm 22 for anybody here who was suffering this morning. Because this Psalm, Psalm 22, is actually not primarily about David and his suffering. This is about more than David because as we really examine Psalm 22, David didn't suffer in all of these ways. They didn't all happen to him. So we need to read Psalm 22 from the foot of the cross. Because Psalm 22 is it's not simply about David's sufferings. It's not about our sufferings or your sufferings. But this is about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I think that's why the, it's why the, the early Christians understood this as they read Psalm 22. It's, it's one of the most often quoted psalms in the New Testament. And these early Christians understood that this was talking about Jesus' death on the cross Because it was Jesus on the cross as he hung there and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was Jesus that was mocked by his enemies, ridiculed, slandered, his hands and feet pierced. It was the enemies of Jesus who divided up his garments, cast lots for them. This is a psalm about the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is a psalm, brothers and sisters, about how Christ transforms our sufferings by showing us that God the Father has a redemptive plan in his own son's sufferings. That God was up to something good even as Jesus suffered on the cross. And so he is also up to something good when we suffer. And that is, in fact, the good news of the gospel. Christ transforms our sufferings, by triumphing over them on the cross. On the cross, God did not deliver Jesus. In fact, God ordained that Jesus would suffer the full weight of our sins. Yes, resurrection and victory would come, but on the cross, Jesus really, really suffered. And it's because of his sufferings that all of our earthly sufferings then take on a completely different nature. Because Christ suffered on the cross, do you know that God then is no longer angry with you? you know then that you and I will not have to face the just punishment for our sins? So when we suffer and we do in this earthly life as Christians redeemed, covered by the blood of Christ, it is not because God is angry. It is not because he has abandoned you. It's not because he's moved on and forsaken you. No, in fact, it is because God is at work in us and through us for something good and holy. Like the Apostle Paul said, our earthly sufferings actually prepare our souls for glory, for eternity. So it means then that whatever earthly sufferings that we will endure... That is not the last word. That's not the end if you are a Christian. One day all those who belong to God will shout his victory. We will proclaim his righteousness, verse 31. And yes, we will shout together, he has done it. He's done it. So how long will my earthly sufferings last? You might ask. Does it have an end date? It does. That's the great news. Your earthly sufferings have an expiration date. And in fact, Psalms of Lament, like Psalm 22, that actually has an end date. Because one day by God's grace we will not need to give voice anymore to our trials and our sufferings because there will be a day when we see Jesus face to face in glory that we will no longer need to lament at all. So if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, you need to know then that this earthly life, and yes, oftentimes it's all of its sufferings, this is as bad as it will ever get for you. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ then the opposite is true. This earthly life and its sufferings and hardships, this is as good as it will ever get for you. And your suffering has really only begun because suffering for those not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ is forever in hell. Praise God that in Christ, laments are only for this life. And praise God that in Christ, because of his work, our sufferings are just for this life. They have an end date and an expiration. So let's look to Christ, to his suffering. He suffered in your place. He died for you to bring you to God, to redeem you, to rescue you, and to secure your eternal future. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, I, I pray, Lord, specifically if there are people here who find themselves in perhaps a season of suffering, Lord, would you encourage them this day by your word? I pray, God, that you would minister your grace to them in such a way that they would know that they're not alone, that you have not abandoned them, that you will never abandon them. And Lord, if we're not in a particularly hard season of suffering. We praise you for that. But we know that suffering will come in some form. And so we want to be ready. So prepare us for that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.